0: that is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players. Where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entry or knowing how to navigate the uncertainties of disruptive developments. Mindfeeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode i have a special surprise gift i am working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management innovation and marketing let's get started on today's episode So welcome to today's episode and I've got with me Jay and we're going to be talking about following topic, how to design a product roadmap that leads to a successful product launch. Jay, before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks for, thanks for having me here. I'm Jay Haynes, the founder of Thrive.com. That's T-H-R-V dot And we build um, software that helps product teams build product roadmaps that lead to success. Uh, and everything we do is based on what is known as jobs to be done innovation methods, uh, otherwise known as jobs theory or JTBD. And I've been doing Jobs To Be Done work for uh, about a decade with some of the world's leading companies, Microsoft, Twitter, eBay, Target, American Express, etc. And we um, really focus on how to help teams decide what goes in their product roadmap and what's going to lead to revenue and profitability growth. Um, And I really got to Jobs To Be Done... After being in the investment world for about the first 10 years of my career uh, and seeing companies really struggle with innovation and growth. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of the day, every business is in business to generate accelerated revenue and profitability growth. Um, and then I ran a few companies with some Silicon Valley Investors thinking that you know Silicon Valley had all the answers, and surprisingly there wasn 't really a systematic way to ensure that building a product roadmap led to success um, and that 's how I got to jobs to be done in jobs theory, which your listeners may know uh, from Clay Christensen of Harvard Business School, who was a big proponent of it. Um, unfortunately, he passed away last year, um, but the basic idea behind it is relatively simple it's that customers are not hiring are not buying products they're hiring those products to get a job done and we can go into what that really means for for product roadmaps but that's the core of the idea
0: yes that sounds uh sensible when you think of it it's it's a bit like gliding i suppose yeah Uh, along a product uh, release
1: Yeah. And it makes sense if you go back and try and explain what's happened historically uh, with different products. Um, And my favorite example is probably... Uh, music. So uh, I'm old enough that i I used to have records, you know, record collection, and then I had a CD collection. I'm actually old enough I used to own eight track tapes. <laughs> so you know, maybe some of your listeners don't even know what those are. but uh, and then we all switched, of course, from CDs to iPods. And then now we all switched from iPods to streaming services like Apple Music and Spotify and Pandora. So why is that? What happened? Well, the markets didn't really change because the underlying market was not for an iPod or for a CD or for a record. The market is really the job you're hiring that product to do, which in that case is to create a mood with music. And the beauty of thinking in this way is that your customer's job doesn't change over time. Creating a mood with music has been the same for hundreds of years. It's going to be the same job a hundred years from now. You know, you used to have to hire a string quartet to create a mood with music. And then eventually we got recording devices and now we have streaming services. So what... What's key there is that if you analyze your customer's job rather than your competitors' products, you're then going to be on the right track to creating innovations and putting ideas into your roadmap that's going to lead to success. And that's really the, the key underlying parts of the theory.
0: Yeah, so that actually makes sense because it's really focusing on the client instead of trying to mimic what the competition is doing or trying to uh, become like the competition instead of actually solving the really the real problem that actually the client is struggling with and hasn't solved with the help of the competition.
1: That's right. That's right. And if you look at just being a copycat product or or copying your competition. It usually doesn't work. Uh, And the iPod is a great example. You know, the iPod was obviously enormously successful. Apple sold 200 million of them at $150 a piece. So that's a, you know, $30 billion of iPods sold, which is, you know, huge. And Microsoft thought, okay, well, we're going to enter this market and create a competitor. And we're Microsoft and they obviously have a billion customers and an operating system and technology and engineering talent and marketing and a brand. And they launched the Zune. And uh, Christian, I don't know if you ever owned a Zune, but not many people did. (laughs) It was a huge failure. Uh, And that's because they did exactly what you were saying. They created features that were exactly the same as an iPod. So no one switched because that doesn't create any customer value. It's not any different. But right about the same time, a little known company called Pandora was signing up 90,000 people a day to their streaming service. And that's because they were doing something very, very different rather than buying songs and downloading them to your computer and then uploading them into your iPod or your Zoom. They just created a streaming service where you didn't need any device at all. And that got the job done faster and more accurately. So by If you're just trying to copy your competitors, you really probably aren't solving the problem in a different way that's going to create value for your customers. And ultimately, that's what you want your product roadmap to do, is to create value for your customers differently than your competitors are doing it. And that's where jobs to be done is really powerful. It helps you get insights into where your customers are struggling with their job, not just with the competitor's products, and also identifies using your customer's job where your competitors are really weak and how you can build a roadmap to succeed.
0: Yeah, and then eventually you have a product that really becomes a successful product on the market and has a higher chances to survive against the competition. And the followers that maybe try to copy
1: that's right that's right and you're trying to build those competitive barriers uh over time and you never stop that's what's really interesting as well a roadmap is continually being updated in response to competitive changes in the market and if you become the leader because you've got this better perspective on how to satisfy your customers then you can build that competitive differentiation and um, and withstand any competitors who enter the market.
0: Yes, and then the, the product actually has value. And there's a reason then actually long-term maybe even to switch and more people want to use it
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and what you bring up customer value, um, and that's a really key part of jobs to be done is figuring out what is customer value? And are you actually creating any value for your customers before your team invests in product roadmap? And that's really critical because essentially jobs to be done is a risk mitigation system because your company is using its dollars, its capital, to invest in developing, marketing, and selling what's in your product roadmap. And before you make that investment decision, you want to make sure you're creating customer value. And a lot of teams can't even define what customer value is, which is very interesting. And what we really help with is putting metrics around customer value. So in short, what customer value is, is helping your customers get their job done faster and more accurately. So jobs to be done helps teams identify the key metrics for success, which is first identifying where customers are struggling to get the job done. So what's slow and what's inaccurate, and then enabling those teams to build ideas for their product roadmap that are faster and more accurate than their competitors. And you can see this in the Pandora, Microsoft Zoom, you know, iPod example, Um, The iPod obviously was much better than a CD in creating a mood with music, because, you know, as Steve Jobs famously said, you can have a 1000 songs in your pocket. So you could create playlists and whatever mood you were in, if you were exercising or on a romantic date, or just wanted to relax, whatever, you had your playlist available. Well, but creating those playlists was still pretty manual. You had to go and find the songs, you had to organize them into the playlists, and then you had to download them to your iPod. And then you have to have your iPod with you, you know, etc. But what Pandora did was say, "Oh, well, we just have algorithms, and our algorithms, just by taking what songs you want to listen to, our algorithms are going to cr- automatically create a playlist for the customer." and That's an incredibly important thing to think about is that your product should actually get the job done for the customer. You shouldn't, your customer shouldn't have to do a lot in order to successfully get the job done. And you can see that over time in just whether it's consumer markets, business markets, or medical markets, that that's the key to innovation success is that the new products are faster and more accurate and they get the job done for the customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it increases then the value, and uh, as well, of course, it attracts as well more clients, especially when you think of it B2B, where people are very careful before they introduce something new, um, I suppose they really then try to f- have the product as fitting that the business client doesn't become uh, disillusioned or even unhappy, and then moves on.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and in B2B markets, you can see this progression uh, into faster and more accurate products as well. And we, when we work with B2B companies, um, we part of what we work with them on is this idea that their products are actually not supposed to have more and more features for their customers. And sometimes this is a hard thing for product teams to grasp because, um, and especially in software where you can build anything. And the idea is, well, we can let our customers customize it if they want it this way, or if they want it that way, and we'll have these features and they can do anything they want with our product. When really you want to limit those as much as possible. And the way to do that is to understand what the job that your customers are hiring your product to do. So you can be very, very focused on getting that job done faster and more accurately. And as as you probably know, Christian, because you probably use business to business software, it can be very confusing sometimes. (laughs) Lots of features, lots of settings, lots of configurations. And the more that you can develop your software to have fewer of those kind of configurations of settings, Uh, Because you're helping the customer get the job done, the better. And it's just like Pandora. Pandora has very, 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 and even streaming services have very few features, uh, you know, relative to the iPod, if you just want to create a mood with music. And that's because what The value comes from the sophistication in figuring out, in in the case of the music, what type of music you want to listen to. So there's features that are in the algorithmic side of it, but from an end user standpoint, you click a button, and I have a mood with I create a mood with music (laughs) As, as simple as possible.
0: Yeah. So in other in other words, the user actually just wants to click a button.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. When we do work with companies, um, we always start with that idea that Imagine your solution is literally just a button. That's all your customer has to do to get the job done. And you could apply this to anything. Imagine it's a consumer market where you want to get a baby to sleep through the night. So push a button. Or you're in a B2B market where you want to acquire customers. You push a button. Or you're in a medical market and you're trying to diagnose a disease. and You push a button. Now, practically, that's not always possible, right? Right. Um, But at least it helps the companies think about what's in their roadmap and say, okay, if our customers have to do more than pushing a button to use our product, why is that? And if it takes them 10 steps to achieve their goal, in other words, to get the job done, can we have it take eight steps? Can we have it take five or three? And what can we do on our product roadmap? What can we be building that's going to remove those steps that our customer has to take to achieve their goal? And that's where you get back to speed and accuracy. So every step that you as a product team can eliminate for your customer is creating customer value.
0: Yeah, that actually then propels and let's say the introduction as well forward. Well, you introduce a new product, the market needs, of course, some time to actually recognize, understand it, and eventually it starts accepting it and you scale. And of course, then eventually the competitors will see what are you doing. For instance, now with um, Clubhouse, for instance, suddenly Facebook is trying to copy it, uh, Twitter, um, Spotify, and so on and so on. Everybody is trying to have this kind of audio rooms and so on. It's just a Question, who will actually win and who will actually satisfy the user at the best?
1: Yeah, and that's where roadmapping is so critical. Um, because you're right, it's, it's a process of continuing to add value over time. So Clubhouse is a good example where um, there's probably lots of jobs that people are hiring those audio rooms to get done and you can start with audio rooms which is an interesting feature Um, and then what are you really doing with those audio rooms and that's where if you were going to compete in that market rather than just copying clubhouse you'd want to figure out are there specific jobs that people are using those for there could be entertainment jobs, There could be just social connection jobs, There could be work related stuff that's going on there. It could be research, you know, there's all sorts of things that a audio room could be hired for. And we used to give this example, even before the pandemic of zoom uh, versus the airlines. <laughs> and this seems rather strange, uh, pre pandemic, but we would say that web conferencing systems like Zoom were direct competitors with the airlines. And that seems kind of insane. If you look at traditional market definitions, you would define the market as there's an airline market and there's a web conferencing market. But really, if you look at those two products, they help people get lots of jobs done. One of which, for example, is salespeople trying to acquire customers. So, if you're a salesperson and you need to close deals, one solution is to get on a plane and land in the airport and go meet with your customers. Well, you could also use web conferencing to meet with customers and figure out what their needs are and if your product met their needs, et cetera, and then close deals. And we always said, well, the airlines should be buying web conferencing systems because they're a direct threat to some of their most profitable customers, these salespeople who need to close deals. And the pandemic just made that very, very obvious that that people could use alternatives to an airline to acquire customers. And that's similar to Clubhouse is then you'd want to look, for example, if you were Zoom, now Zoom is actually competing with Salesforce. And how can Zoom then look at the job of acquiring customers and build in more what would be considered kind of CRM features that help salespeople who are using zoom to have meetings with potential customers and that's the key is that if you stay focused on your customer's job and what they're trying to get done you'll see these opportunities for innovation and success
0: yeah and then as you say you have a better focus because like with example with the airlines and so on the airlines usually make pre-pandemic times, um, the big profit of a flight usually was in the business class and the economy just gave the extra money on top. But uh, today, of course, when you book flights anywhere around the world and you look, for instance, for business class, because you may say, oh, I don't want to sit at the very back where everybody is sitting all together, cramped, and you prefer to sit in business class, which you usually wouldn't have done. Um the prices aren't actually that high. They've gone massively down, so you can even get uh, flights maybe 40 50 80%, even cheaper than pre-pandemic times. And um, yes, there are a few services that have gone, but most of it is, is similar. On the other hand, of course, not everybody is participating in a Zoom call or in a, let's say, sales-related call the way we would expect. So some people... What I've heard from different salespeople having (laughs) challenges as well, especially in a B2B or B2Corporate business. And some, of course, don't switch on the cameras. And others then just log in with the phone. And then you're sitting there and everybody else sees you, but you can't see them. And it's a bit awkward. So I think people need, need to transition and find ways, of course, how software and other kind of things can help them. Or they can combine it to a hybrid solution.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think actually that hybrid solution is an interesting thing to analyze. And you can see where uh, the CRM systems, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot or whether it's Zoom tackles this problem. Uh, but if you're a salesperson, one thing that would be really good to know is should I get on a plane or not? <laughs> and regardless of the, of the pricing of the airline uh, ticket, the cost the opportunity cost to have to travel to get on a plane go to the airport you know fly to wherever it is get off the airport stay in a hotel meet the customer and then fly back that's an enormous amount of cost and time that you're spending just traveling to the customers so if a CRM system could look at your pipeline of deals and say by the way, uh, you know, Jay, you should get on a plane tomorrow because you're going to lose this deal, (laughs) right? You think it's going to close, but for all these reasons, and it could use algorithmically, figure out, uh, you know, what's happening with the deal, who is the customer, analyze emails you've sent back and forth, you know, whatever, whatever the inputs are in the algorithm, what you're looking to figure out is, well, which deals that I'm trying to close this quarter. Do I need to get on a plane? And importantly, which ones don't I need to get on a plane? (laughs) So it can tell you, you know, don't fly to Chicago tomorrow because that deal is 100% going to close anyway. So that kind of intelligence, where the solution is actually telling you what actions you need to take, that's the essence of jobs to be done. In the in the consumer example with music, it's obviously very you know uh, kind of easy to grasp because it's just telling you what songs you should listen to to create a mood, but In the case of more complicated markets like B2B and acquiring customers, the same principles apply. And the same method of looking through the uh, products into the customer's job are at work as well.
0: Yeah, and it really helps them actually get the product properly on the market and uh, don't miss what's actually essential to the market to buy.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and the thing about the method is the method really helps your team agree on all of that. And that's a big part of product roadmapping and innovation is getting your team to agree. <laughs> and that can be very, very difficult when you're there are a lot of internal political debates, there's a lot of stressful product roadmap meetings and strategy meetings. And a lot of times, uh, what's been known as the hippo is the way people make decisions. And the hippo is generally referred to as the highest paid person's opinion. (laughs) And that is generally not a good way to prioritize your roadmap. And it can make it very stressful because then everybody's jockeying for a position in the politics of the meetings. And what we really try and do is help teams gain agreement by using their customer as the center of those decisions. So what are the customers struggling with? And that's where you can get that team agreement faster and overcome a lot of those stressful product road mapping and product strategy and product planning meetings uh, that can either lead you to success or lead you to failure. And we always, we always tell, you know, companies at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out is your roadmap going to convert to revenue? That is actually the key of every company's success. You've either got a roadmap that looks like BlackBerry, which people may remember or may not, you know, BlackBerry's market cap where they were four times bigger than Apple when the iPhone launched, which is, you know, almost inconceivable, to think about today, because Apple, of course, is a two trillion dollar company, and BlackBerry is effectively uh, almost out of business. I mean, they had a fifty billion dollar market cap, and now it's you know pretty close to zero. Uh, but they had two very different roadmaps. So what BlackBerry couldn't see was the real competitive threat from the iPhone, and importantly, that what they had on their roadmap was not good enough. It was not going to succeed in converting more revenue and profitability from what they were building. And that's ultimately what done helps teams do is get visibility into that risk and return that they're likely to generate from building their product roadmap.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the consumer and the users, business users were, of course, changing the habits and uh, usability was an issue, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and you could also see that You know, of course, BlackBerry, um, given the technology of the time, was extremely good at mobile email. Uh, You know, you may remember they started with the basically two line display (laughs) and a tiny keyboard. I I even had one of those, and it was very useful. You know, it was very useful to have access to your email mobile. But what, of course, the iPhone did, and what we all you know recognize now, is that um, the iPhone and and even Android phones, are are phones in name only. Uh, It's really a mobile computing platform to get multiple jobs done. And what BlackBerry didn't recognize is that even though people did like keyboards and keyboards, you know, physical keyboards were a nice way to enter text for emails, but there are just so many more jobs that we need to get done while mobile that they had the wrong platform. That ultimately taking up too much of the computer screen with the keyboard wasn't going to be a competitive advantage, and you know this was even if you go back and look at Steve Jobs' original iPhone keynote. This is one of the critical elements that he mentioned, which is we're taking up way too much screen real estate for something that's going to fit in your pocket with this physical keyboard that you're not going to need for a whole bunch of other jobs, including you know uh, browsing the internet and getting information from the internet. Uh, and all the other applications that followed
0: yeah so it was great having you here on the show jay and um before we leave where can people actually get in contact with you to find out more or maybe even test out the software or anything like that
1: yeah sure people can find us at thrv.com that's thrive without the vowels um and we have uh a free online course with for jobs to be done so you can take our course online uh, we have a bunch of videos and uh, resources for anybody who's looking to learn more about the method and how it works and how it can help product teams with their product road mapping
0: great so i hope we'll be talking about similar topics in the future and yeah see you soon thanks christian I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Growth Zone with Christian Barge. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market simply visit the website follow.prmediareach.com. I will be adding the link also to the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. For those of you who are listening and signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a free copy of The Ultimate Guide on Content Marketing. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years. It also got me contacts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized entrepreneurs and enterprises as clients. And that even included international clients from all around the world. The link to sign up for our free broadcasting service and the guide is follow.prmediareach.com. That will give you access to the most recent version of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me as well on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CAP barge. That's spelled Charlie Alpha Papa Bravo Alpha Romeo Tango Sierra Charlie Hotel. Yes, that is CAP barge.